what does it take to come to God's holy hill? To share in the fellowship with the creator of the universe. To be able to spend time in the presence of the Lord. This morning, open your Bibles to Psalm 15. Open your Bibles to Psalm 15, where David starts by asking some thought-provoking questions. Questions that get to the heart of our existence as followers of Christ. Questions that bring us to our knees in praise and awe to our Lord and Savior. As we begin, let's go to him in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you, we honor you, Father. We thank you that we can come and lift our voices to you, Father. Lift our hearts up to you. Help us to be people that walk out your word daily. Not just sing songs to you, but let this be a representation of our lives as we praise you in song. Let us praise you in all areas of life. Help us to be people who are walking in repentance, in awe of your grace, amazed of your son Christ who saved us. We ask, Father, that you give us wisdom, you encourage us, convict us, open our hearts to hear your word. It's through Christ's name we pray. Amen. Psalm 15.1. David says this, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? David asks the question, who can dwell or abide in your tent? Who can stand in your presence, Lord? Who can have relationship with the Almighty God? What kind of person walks in fellowship with the living Almighty God? This reminds me of a few years ago, probably, quite, quote, probably close to about 20 years ago. That sort of dates me. But when all the craze was going around to have an encounter with God, the Bible was good, but many were seeking fresh, new experiences with God. Holiness and right living, well, that was okay, but it was much more exciting to be, see God face to face. This was when the Toronto pseudo-revivals were going on. This movement had some interesting perspectives, yet questionable experiences they attributed to God. Many of the books that came out during this time caught the same vision as they spoke of having experiences, encounters with the Lord as well. Some of these books we all know, we've read most of them. God Chasers, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, Power Evangelism, Power Points, and Experiencing God. People wanted to feel and see God. People wanted to have God come down in the cloud like he did with the Israelites. People wanted to have a burning bush experience like Moses. People were looking for experiences with God daily. They would say they wanted to live out the pages of the Bible. Many were calling God down from heaven, calling boldly for manifestations of him. The problem then and the problem today as well is when our experiences don't line up with the clear word of God. When our experiences are foreign to the word of God. We often get ourselves in real trouble because our view of God begins to be distorted. 
our view of God begins to shrink. God becomes our servant. God becomes our personal God who does what we want, like a cosmic Santa Claus or a genie in the bottle who does our bidding. This is what happens when we seek God without his word. We also begin to humanize God. He begins to think like us. He begins to act like us. Scripture isn't there to give us right, the right view, the right perspective any longer. And we are left to our own vain imaginations is what the word of God calls it. We quickly lose our fear of God. We quickly lose the holiness of God. And he becomes just another buddy, a, a friend. There were shirts that used to say, Jesus is my homeboy. He becomes our homeboy. A nice grandpa that's there just to love on us when we need him. We are left with an unbalanced, unbiblical view, a kumbaya view of God that says that he is only love, grace, and kindness, and mercy, and he wants us just to be happy. That's his goal in life, is to make us happy. But we see in Scripture that people had a different view of God. They had a right, a big, a accurate view of God. They had a holy fear of God. We can see that when God showed up, People fell on their faces trembling in fear and terror. Let's look at just one example. That turn with me to Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. And this is where Isaiah is in the presence of God. In the presence of the almighty king, creator of the universe. He's experiencing God face to face. And he says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting up on the throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at his voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What does Isaiah say? Does he say it's awesome to hang out with God, he's my homeboy? Does he get excited and start dancing around, thinking it's a big show, big party. He's so excited about this. No, of course not. He says, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. God's holiness, his perfection, his purity blaze down on Isaiah's depravity, his wickedness, his sinfulness, and he knew God saw everything about him. He couldn't hide anything from God. Last evil thought that went through Isaiah's head, he knew God knew. 
the last evil action that he committed was known by the all-knowing God. Isaiah was in horror. He was in shock. It was overwhelming to be in the presence of God Almighty. Isaiah was humbled. He was awe. He was in awe. He was speechless. He was scared to death. Creation in the, in the presence of Creator. What do we think is going to happen? Similarly, David, in our main text in Psalm 15, verse 1, He's looking around at all the wickedness of humanity and probably thinking of his own sinfulness and says to God, who can dwell with you, Lord? Who can be in your presence? Who can actually have relationship with such a pure and perfect God? We are so unworthy. We as people are so imperfect, sinful, and you, God, are full of holiness. David has a right view, an accurate view, a big view of God. And David, by the way, has a right view of himself. David has a fear of the Lord. Which leads to point number one. Followers of Christ know the fear of God. Point number one says that followers of Christ know the fear of God. You may be thinking right now, why do we need to fear the Lord? That's not what I've heard. I thought God's love. Why do we have to fear him? Because many say that fear here can be translated as respect. And this respect is often compared to an authority figure like a parent-child relationship. And I agree to some extent to that. But the reality of it is this word that is translated as fear, guess what it means? Fear. It means fear. It means terror. It means fright. That's what it means. It can't be substituted as respect. This waters down how we are supposed to look of the creator of the universe. Others try to contend, well, that was only in the Old Testament people had to fear God. We're finally under the New Testament where we have now a fear, a love of God instead of a fear of God. And that sounds really nice. It sounds really nice when you say it. But that's not what the Bible says. Are we going to follow the Bible or are we going to follow our own vain imaginations? The Bible tells us in the New Testament to fear the Lord as well. Let's look at one passage. Let's look at 1 Peter 2.17. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter 2.17. First Peter 2.17, this is Peter talking to the New Testament church. And he says this, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. The word fear in this passage comes from the Greek word phobos, where we get our English word phobia, right? Scared of spiders, scared of elevators, scared of people, scared of flying, right? A, a, a terror, a fear is what we get from this. This word can also be translated in, from the Greek to the English as terror, fright, or extreme fear. So even in the New Testament, we are called, not just called, but commanded to fear the Lord. Fear 
of God looks like reverence. A holy awe of God. A reality that he is omniscient, which means he is all-knowing. A reality that he is omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. A reality that he's omnipresent, which means he is everywhere. And that means if we had an encounter with God like Isaiah, we would be terrified because God would see all of us as well. Sinners like us in the presence of perfect holiness would cause us to fall on our faces in utter helplessness and terror as well. We can't humanize God. What is our view of God this morning? Does our view of God come from Scripture? Or does it come from our own vain thinkings or what American Christianity has been telling us? Do we have a right view of God? Do we have a holy fear of God this morning? Well, let's go back to Psalm 15 because that's actually where we're supposed to be. So we're Psalm 15 where David asks the question, who can be in God's presence. Who can have relationship with the living God? And for the rest of the psalm, David gives us a snapshot of a believer handling various situations that we all face. David gives us practical wisdom and counsel on how a child of God lives life. In other words, David allows us to see what faith produces, what fruit is wrought, what What is developed, what is produced when we have genuine faith in Christ Jesus? What is the Christian's character? How does the Christian handle his finances? How does the Christians treat others? How does the Christian talk to others? These are questions David begins to answer for us. So let's go back to Psalm 15, where David responds to his own question in verse 1, which says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Verse 2, he begins to answer the question for us. And he says this, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right. We got our answer. So David says that anyone who walks blamelessly or perfectly can be in God's presence. Well, if you hear that, you might be thinking, wait a minute here. Blamelessly, perfectly? It sounds like we're all toast to me because who's perfect? Who's perfect? And maybe some of us are thinking and contemplating, well, you know, I may just qualify. I think I might be perfect. I think I, and I I would suggest this, if you are actually thinking that you are perfect, then I would encourage you to ask your spouse about your perfectness. (laughs) Reality checks are very good for the soul. Being humbled is good for us. It happens all the time. You can ask my wife, she's always humbling me. But truth be known, Christ was the only perfect person. But biblically, we must realize that if we are in Christ, we are positionally cleansed. We are blameless before God. Amen? Grace covers our past, our present, and our future sins. Believers are justified because of Christ. We are considered saints, not because 
of something great that we are doing, but that Christ is doing a great work in us. Amen? When we are in Christ, he renovates us from the inside out. Heart change means life change. We aren't who we used to be. God gets a hold of us and we become new creations in Christ. James Montgomery Boyce says this, justification can never be separated from regeneration. And regeneration that produces genuine faith also expresses itself in right actions. So Boyce is saying that genuine faith produces good fruit or works. It affects how we think and act, which means we begin to live differently. So has our faith in Christ affected how we live? Has Christ so filled us up that we overflow with good works? Well, this leads to point number two. Followers of Christ have good character. Point number two says that followers of Christ have good character. David says they walk blameless and does what is right. And someone with good character is consistent. They are the same whether they are in the presence of others or not because they know they're always in the presence of God. A good explanation of character is the saying, who are you when no one is looking? Who am I when no one is looking? That reveals our character. It reveals who we are. When we are comfortable to be ourselves, this shows our hearts. The follower of Christ is not perfect by any means, but his or her heart disposition overall is to please, is to honor, is to glorify Christ. Like Paul who said that if he lived, he lived for Christ. Who are we this morning? Are we the same Sunday that we are Monday through Saturday? When we're in Christ, the transformation of the heart leads to life transformation as well. It leads to character transformation. Well, let's go back to our psalm. And we're in Psalm 15. And we're moving on to verse 2. And the first part of uh, 3. And it says this in verse 2. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart who does not slander with his tongue. So David says, those that are gods have a handle or a rein on their tongue. They are becoming more like Christ, and the Holy Spirit is transforming them to speak words of life, words of freedom, words of grace, words of truth, which leads to point number three. Followers of Christ speak life to others. Followers of Christ speak life to others. David says they speak truth, which show us what they do with their speech. They are willing to tell it like it is in humility, grace, and love. They are willing to share God's word with someone for encouragement. 
They're willing to share God's word to someone who needs help. They're willing to share God's word in truth to those who are in error. This person does not only have truthful speech, but they themselves are trustworthy. We can trust them for counsel or for help because they rely on God's word for their counsel. We have confidence that they have our best interest in mind. That's why the first part of verse 3 says that tells us how they won't use their speech to slander or gossip about others. And to sort of piggyback on this verse, why don't you turn with me to Ephesians 4.29. Ephesians 4.29 that talks about our speech. How we are supposed to talk to others. And this is Paul the Apostle talking to the church at Ephesus. And he says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So Paul says, Don't let foolish, worthless, unwholesome, corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only that which builds up Others, according to their needs, according to what will give the hearers grace. The follower of Christ looks, up, looks for opportunities to bless, to encourage others with his or her speech. How most of us, including myself, who are married, need to just meditate on this one single passage daily and remember how we should always talk to our spouse. Do we build our spouse up? Do we share God's word with our spouse? Or do we cut them down, insult them, complain to them? Does our speech glorify Christ or glorify Satan? Do we speak Christ's language or do we speak the world's language? Let's go back to, to Psalm 15. And now we're in the middle of verse 3, which says, Does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. Let me read that again. Does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. So we see here that the child of God does not mistreat his or her fellow man. Why? Why don't they? It's not just a hollow command, but the fact we are called to value others. We're called to care for other people because of our love for God. Which leads to point number four. Followers of Christ treat others better than themselves. Followers of Christ treat others better than themselves. You don't have to turn here, but just write this down, this reference. Philippians 2, 3. And it says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. What does it look like to place others above ourselves? Well, what it means is we put others' wants, 
We put others' desires. We put other people's needs before our own. Think if we had this attitude in our marriage with our friends, with our church family, and yes, even with our enemies, how would this revolutionize our relationships? Our love for God should overflow. It should overflow in us and, and, and be poured out on those all around us because of our love for God. Let's go back to our psalm. Psalm 15, verse 4, which, which says this. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. Let me say that again. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. David is saying that a child of God has a righteous indignation, indignation, frustration for those who openly rebel against God and continue to spew out wickedness. But he goes on to say that they have high regard for, respect for those who have a close, deep, abiding relationship with the Lord as well. The question that comes to mind from this passage is, what is your standards or principles that you live for? What is the standards or principles that you stand on? Well, this leads to point number four, five. Followers of Christ have biblical values. Point number five says that followers of Christ have biblical values who do we admire who do you admire who do you look up to whose actions and character do you find offensive who are your heroes who are my heroes if you're a teenager who do you look up to and admire we live in sad times, I'll tell you that right now, when Christians look up to sports figures, singers, movie stars as their heroes. Wrong heroes mean we have wrong values. I wonder as parents who we are teaching our children to look up to. Do we teach them to admire our sovereign Lord? Or do we teach the Bible stories and get them excited about the heroes of old? What about all the people in church history that we have? We could tell them about men and women that stood for the truth even when it costed them everything. We could talk to them about, about people like Polycarp, an elder in Smyrna who was a friend of the Apostle John, who at age 80 was dragged out of his house and said, you need to recant your faith in Christ, or you're going to be thrown to the lions. And he said, unflinchingly, I can't do that. I follow Christ. And with that being said, the emperor burned him alive. Or we could teach our children about Martin Luther, who took on the Roman Catholic Church single-handedly and started what is known as the Protestant Reformation. Or we could talk to our children about the Wesley brothers. John, who went all over and preached the gospel, or Charles Wesley. Many of his hymns we still sing today. Luke loves them. Or we could teach our children about Charles Spurgeon, prince of preachers. Or we could talk to our children about Jonathan Wesley, or Jonathan Edwards, who started the Great Awakening. Or we could talk to our children about all the amazing missionaries like Hudson Taylor or Jim Elliott. 
Or we could teach our children to admire godly women and men in our own day. This could be people in our local church, those who have a zeal, a love for the Lord, those who know how to pray, those who are really walking with God. The point is, we should be, as David says in verse 4, to honor those who fear the Lord, who really know the Lord. These are the type of people we should teach our children about. These are the type of people we should be admiring. Men and women who live boldly for Christ. What are your values? What are my values? Because they are seen in the people we look up to. Let's go back to Psalm 15. We're at the second half of verse 4. That says, Who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Let me say it again. Who swears to his own hurt and does not change. David says, the person who loves God keeps an oath. They stick to their word. They stand on their agreements. And obviously, this is easy for us to do when the deal is working out, when the deal is going good, when the deal is working out in our favor. It's easy to do. But what do they do when the deal is a disaster when they aren't happy with the outcome when they gave their word and now the deal is falling apart when they what do they do when sticking to their commitment means hurt it means suffering maybe it means hurt financially maybe it affects their relationships maybe it hurts their own reputation But point number six says this, followers of Christ keep their commitments because they have integrity. Followers of Christ keep their commitments because they have integrity. Do we stand on our word? Do we make commitments and then change our mind when it doesn't go our way? Are we willing to speak truth to others who waver on their word? Are are we people of integrity? Well, let's continue on in verse 5. Psalm 15, verse 5. And it says, Who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. So the final characteristic of a follower is one who uses money correctly. They aren't trying to take advantage of others or trying to be greedy. They aren't trying to eclipse justice or lack integrity in their business dealings. No, they are above board. They are motivated to love others, not take advantage of others. They recognize their money is God's and they use it wisely for God's purposes. This is what it looks like. A portrait of a godly man or woman. Who walks with Christ. Well in conclusion. David ends this psalm by saying this. He who does these things. Shall never be moved. He 
who does these things shall never be moved. David ends with a promise that the person who lives this way will never be shaken. They won't be moved. They will stand on firm ground. That means when we face the storms of life, we won't be shaken. We won't be blown away when we face loss of a loved one. When we find out that our life has been turned upside down, we will still have the joy of the Lord. We will still have the peace of the Lord because our confidence is wrapped up In Christ, it's wrapped up in pleasing and honoring God. It's wrapped up in glorifying our sovereign Lord. How does our lives compare to Psalm 15 this morning? James Boyce says this psalm is a portrait of one who pleases God. The one who pleases God is the one who knows Christ. Let me ask you, have you submitted your life to Christ? Have you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you repented of your sins? We won't ever be a child of God if we haven't turned to Christ in faith and repentance. Jesus said, I am the way, truth, and the life. If you aren't sure if you know Christ, Pastor Casey or myself would love to spend some time with you. Sometime this week, you can make an appointment. There's a sheet out in the foyer that you can make an appointment to visit with us. And we'd love to just spend time in prayer and talk to you about Christ. But this morning, we have gotten a glimpse of how a follower of Christ lives their life. They are growing. They are maturing. They are looking more like their Lord and Savior. Christ called us to believe in Him. But this belief lives itself out in our lives it doesn't sit dormant trusting in christ is not mere mental ascent but the power of the holy spirit living inside of us transforming us changing us preparing us for heaven may we continue to bear much fruit and use ourselves up for god's glory let's go to him in prayer holy father we praise you We're humbled by getting a glimpse of how faithful you call us to be in our lives. We recognize in so many areas we fall short to even what Psalm 15 says. We struggle daily. We thank you for your grace you give us. We recognize the perfect standard reminds us to continue to turn to our Lord and Savior And be in awe of the gospel once again. As you continue to transform us into the likeness of your son. Through the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for what you're doing in us. Help us to continue to look to the Savior. Not get down and depressed when we see how poor and pathetic and flaky we still are. Help us to cling. Hold on. And praise our Lord for what you're doing in us. We thank you and praise you. It's Christ's name. Amen.